What is, what is that you're drinking there? Yeah, it's water. Mm. Where did it come from? Uh, you know, it came out of the tap. How did it get into the tap? What do you mean, how did it get into the tap? It, you know, it came through a pipe. How did it get into the pipe? I suppose it rained somewhere, you know, upriver. I don't know, in the Alps. It came down the river. It came out of the river into a pipe. came out of the pipe. Now it's going into my mouth. It's the it's the water cycle. I've seen my my daughter draws it when she's you know doing science projects and things like that. Rain down the river into me, eventually out of me. But you but you're missing a piece there in the, in that in that cycle. What, what am I missing? Structured finance. Oh, well, obviously. Where, where's the structured finance in that? Well, depending on where the pipes are, uh, these pipes may well have been financed by structured finance. In Italy, in certain parts of Italy, these might be financed by something called the hydrobonds. Oh, everything tastes better in Italy, doesn't it? Even the water has an extra bit of structured finance in it. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And on Spotify, Spotify, yes, Stitcher, Stitcher, and YouTube. YouTube, you can go on YouTube and see us. That's right. Or well, hear us anyway. You can, you'll be seeing us soon. Ah, does that get you interested? And then, if you subscribe, you'll be able to get all these episodes—not just the Hydrobond one, but uh, all the older ones and the ones that are coming up. Like next week, when we have one on uh, the European Fund for Strategic Investments, which I particularly enjoy saying, which is part of. The investment plan for Europe, and you don't want to miss that. So, Hydro Bonds, we're joined by Thomas van Gilst. I'm saying that with my best Dutch there. Did I get it right? <laughs> Excellent. Very good. He's head of water security and resilience. We should really have a Dutchman in charge of water things, shouldn't we? Because, uh, well, you're very tall. Is that so that you can be above the level of the water even when you're standing on the ground? And, uh, and actually, we met in the swimming pool. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Which uh, you know, is that your thing? You like to you like to swim, particularly? Yeah. Well, I, actually, I find it quite boring, but it's more for the exercise that I ah. that I like to do it. Ah. Um, but it's not to say that I that I don't enjoy being in the water. It's just doing laps that I find a bit boring. Mm, I can relate uh, to that. <laughs> yeah. And we're also joined by um, uh, Patricia Castellano, who is a senior economist in the Water Security and Resilience Division here at the European Investment Bank. Are you a swimmer? How do you get your exercise? I'm more a yoga person than a swimmer, actually. Oh, <laughs> so it's more kind of balanced. Yeah, still exercising, but uh, mm. more on the ground Ah, okay. and the water. So uh, you know, our listeners can't see this, but actually Patricia is standing on her head to do the whole of this <laughs> podcast. <Exactly. laughs> so let's let's start by talking about the hydro bond. What is it, Thomas? Well, actually, it's a, I mean, uh, how do you say? It's actually a, a, a bond, but it just has the name hydro bond simply because the underlying issuers of the, um, of the securities are water companies. So it's giving it a sexy name for something which is actually quite plain. I mean, it's just it's actually just a, a bond that's, well, the securities that have been issued, purchased by an SPV, and then onsold to the EIB. An SPV, a special purpose vehicle. Yes. It's, yes. There's something special about it, though. If it's a special purpose vehicle, 
we've issued bonds before the the bank uh, on or on behalf of water companies, but they were just bonds. What's different about this one? Let's say. Um, well, this one is actually a packaging of many uh, uh, small, uh, let's say, uh, uh, notes by so notes by smaller companies, which are basically too small to have any appeal for, uh, let's say, institutional bond bu- buyers, uh, like, for example, pension funds, um, who would be the typical buyers of EIB bonds. And they need uh, not, not only a certain size, but also a certain credit rating. And each one of these small utilities alone does not have neither the size nor the credit rating uh, to be able to appeal to such such a market. Um, so, well, the idea basically was to package them together and and make a, well a single uh, uh, let's say product, which then the EIB together with some other institutional investors would then buy. So, you know, by buying that, we're paying them money, which they then use to invest in their uh, investment programs too. So if they weren't able to do it with a bond uh, like this, where would they get the money, these small water well, companies? Well, when they first approached us, they had a lot of difficulties. It was sh- shortly after the financial crisis, and banks were not happy to lend to, uh, to these small utilities for a, you know, for a long period of time. So they were giving uh, loans of four or five years, which is completely out of sync with, uh, let's say, the longevity of the underlying assets. So if you then have to pay back a loan in a very short amount of time, imagine having, getting a mortgage for your house and having to pay it off in four years. It's just simply impossible unless the price, the, the tariffs you know, go through the roof, which would lead to social issues, obviously. So they really had issues financing their investment programs, and, uh, which traditionally they were doing with commercial banks. But for the investors, what's, um, what are they looking for in that hydro bond? Is it that there are specific investors who are in, interested in investing in, uh, in water companies, but, or are they much more likely just, just to be interested in, in uh, a utility company? Uh, so maybe, maybe if we called it a utility bond, it would attract more investors or, or is it mm. or is there a class of investors who are looking specifically to invest in yeah. water I, I think that in this case the idea was not to to create a new market like we might be doing with the mm. climate awareness bonds uh, the issue here was more to be able to lend to these utilities that were having difficulties and in the process to draw in some local institutional investors so to to make them let's say uh, see that this is a sector which is going in the in the right direction for a lot of reasons that we can talk about later, if you like, but that uh, and trying to to open up their eyes into you know for this sort of sector. To add on this point, uh, the Italian uh, water sector was uh, really at the moment a critical point where the the regulatory framework had changed, and it was giving investment investors more security as to you know putting money into the sector into water utilities uh, with a rather stable returns. So. I would say this was a combination of having a, a, um, a sector that was going, as you said, in the right direction, and at the same time, the bank was trying to support this uh, movement with the uh, with the uh, more targeted and tailored uh, products, such mm. as the hydro bond. Roughly, how many, Patricia, were the uh, was the number of the the different water companies that were involved in this? So initially in the first phase, there was uh, nine operators in the region, in the Veneto region. And uh, uh, 
so these operators are a group and an association, which is actually the, the, the promoter, the, the main counterpart of the, of the bank in this uh, operation. And then, because it was successful, they attracted another four uh, utilities from the, from, from the region. So that's why then the investment, um, let's say, the investment program that is supported with these uh, bonds has increased. Now it's over 500 million uh, euros of uh, capital expenditure that will be financed through these uh, bonds. Mm -hmm. Initially, uh, it was less than uh, 300 million. Mm. So that's that's half a billion, essentially, of euros that because all these different investments were pooled together, they were able to essentially raise and spend that money, whereas before they wouldn't have been able to. Exactly, exactly. And probably uh, uh, it was, uh, if they didn't have access to this uh, type of product, probably uh, the investment program would have taken much longer uh, to, 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 to be implemented. Because as uh, Thomas uh, mentioned, um, if you don't have the right financing, then you have to, uh, it's too expensive and you have to reflect that in your tariff and uh, the water price becomes too, 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 uh, too uh, the water becomes too expensive. So you would have to phase your investment program to make sure that the water doesn't suddenly become too expensive to the people in the region. So, uh, I guess the reason you could do that, though, is is because these companies are not competitors, right? They're they're not competing against each other. Everyone is is serving a, a different region. Or, or do you th- do you think this this model could work for for um, other types of companies in in the water sector or or, or beyond that you could you could combine uh, similar notes? Actually, it's a very good point. Uh, indeed, they're natural monopolies, so they don't compete against each other during their concession period. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, they're all fully public, so they, they wouldn't venture outside their service area you know, in terms of trying to get concessions elsewhere. They could get money from the banks that they had to pay back much sooner than the actual pipes or whatever other material yeah. infrastructure they were yeah. laying would need to be replaced, etc. Yes. Yeah. So that they wanted a loan that would last as long as the pipes, more or less. Ideally, yes. Uh-huh. Having said that, actually, the pipes is, is one of the, the, the no. components in the investment programs which have the longest life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They go like from fifty, they can go up to a hundred years easily. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they'll, they'll never get a loan with that tenor. But uh, let's say the average, there are parts like electromechanical components in the wastewater treatment facilities, for example, which may need to be replaced after twelve and a half years. So we tend to look at the average of the life, and well, usually we're just about a bit, a bit less than it. But but still, we're one of the lenders that provide the you know the loans with the longest tenors. So, mm-hmm. so that that's the I think the competitive edge that the EIB has over many other institutions. I think that, that longevity of, uh, of the assets is one of the things that makes it difficult to understand why these companies need to be doing that much investing because, you know, to me, water, um, utility companies, it seems like, you know, the, the pipes are in the ground, they're, they're working, you know, why do these companies need to invest so much in the mm. first place? Yeah. What do well, they need to do? It's simply because, well, the asset base, let's say the value of all those pipes is so high, uh, you couldn't replace it financially in one go because it's it maybe in a small service area with, let's say, a few hundred thousand people. Maybe they have, you know, 500 millions worth of, of even more, maybe a billion you know, of assets yeah. that you can't replace for, uh, overnight. And then also the physical time that it takes to replace them and the disturbances that you would cause, you know, if you... If you turned all the roads upside down for uh, mm-hmm. for however long it took to do it then for that year you'd have it would be crazy 
So they, it, it has to be done a, a small bit at a time. You mentioned that you know it's it's something that was put together for this specific group of nine, then thirteen uh, Italian water companies. So that makes it a very good example of structured finance, which our listeners will have been hearing about in last week's podcast. It's a very good example of that. Having said that, is it something which which you could look at in in let's say other areas of Italy, other areas of Europe, or even outside Europe, where you are doing a lot of your work to recreate? Um, you could look into this structure, but I would say that you need a very uh, important condition. You need to have essentially uh, a public counterpart, whether it's um, a, a financing institution from a region or that is really pushing this uh, uh, um, this uh, product. Uh, you need the utility. They, they all operate in their concession in their area, and they're all looking at the, you know, the little regional province. So you need to have something higher from a regional level to really incentivize them to come together, uh, incentivize them as well in financial terms, which means you need to have, for instance, the region saying, okay, to help you come together and, uh, uh, you know, issue this bond together, I'm also ready to reduce the risk that you're taking, uh, let's say, by putting some money, some public, uh, some public funds to lower the whole, the, the global risk of, this, uh, of these operations. So... Um, you need to have that. They've tried in other regions in, in Italy to, to, to start this process. And maybe this is missing. So they're not coming to terms and uh, they're not able to, uh, how do you say, to finalize the, the whole uh, process. So, but I would say that otherwise it can be replicated in other, in other regions. Um, in other countries, it depends on the legal framework because Italy has a special uh, legal framework for these uh, uh, mini bonds and for this, uh, what they call securitization, which makes the products, the product work in Italy. In other countries, that, uh, that, mm. would, be, uh, that would be different. Maybe I can just add, uh, indeed, with the Vivaracqua, there were two things. One was, uh, Patricia mentioned the, uh, how do you say, to the, the support by the region. In this case, it was, I think it was 6% of the investment amount, which they set aside as a guarantee. And then the individual utilities set aside another, I think it was 14% of the investment ma- money, of the investment amount um, as, a, as a guarantee. So basically... Uh, as the investments took place and the repayments started gradually taking place, they could also eat into that guarantee. They could use the guarantee money basically again. So it wasn't like you know uh, giving it away. It's just like putting it there uh, a in, a, in a safe, reserve. a cash yeah. reserve in a safe in case any of them defaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this was just six percent from the region. So a very small amount and a huge leverage effect if you if you look mm-hmm. at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Another condition was that Viveracqua, so which is basically the SPV already existed because they had uh, already teamed up to to have better bargaining power with uh, energy companies to reduce the energy bills because en- uh, water supply is well, water is very heavy so the p- pumping it around costs a lot of electricity and therefore a lot of money so it was in their interest to reduce this and they so they had already the structure through which they they worked together and i think that that was a, also a very important yeah. condition to yeah for the speed with which this operation you know sort of uh, took off but what are the incentives for them to be um, investing in the first place you know you, you mentioned earlier how you know the, the pipes are underground you don't really see what condition they're in you know is it 
Is it that there are requirements for the quality of water? Is it that they're looking out for the sustainability of their business model over the 100-year period? What What's really driving them? Are they trying to minimize the leaks? What's driving them economically to take on these investments in the first mm -hmm. place? Well, you have two aspects to uh, to this question. Essentially, you have first the legislation. So you have European directives uh, to which they have to uh, with which they have to comply, and uh, these European directives are reflected in national legislation. So basically, there's a. Um, uh, compulsory or legal requirements that they have to 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 meet, and that's why they are investing. And these legal and that, requirements, they deal with the quality of water, or what, what do they deal with? Exactly, they deal with the quality of water. They deal with the the way you collect and you treat the wastewater in order to avoid pollution of the environment, essentially. So this is the very general uh, framework. And then you have, obviously, uh, efficiency gains. So these companies have uh, understood uh, that they, uh, they will gain, they will uh, uh, profit from investing in, for instance, reducing uh, the leaks, as Thomas mentioned. Uh, you have very high levels, 30 35% of water that is uh, lost in the process. This water before wow. has been pumped, has been treated. So if you manage to reduce the level of the, um, the leakage, obviously you will improve the, the, let's say, the profitability of your of your company. So these uh, utilities have uh, incentives to to do that. And the regulations are they getting tighter as well? Or, or? Uh, always, yeah. I mean, now now the the, the, the latest things are micro pollutants, um, so the, uh, which are becoming an issue, uh, and the next wave of, of regulation will address that making basically the, the treatment uh, more expensive as well. Uh, I want to get to, processes. Sorry, I want to get to a, a, a term uh, as we're a dictionary of finance and we're about defining terms. I want to get to a term that people might at first not know but also might not associate with economics and finance, and that is, Thomas, water security. What is water security and, and what's the economic factor in that? Well, uh, water security is not a financial term. It's obviously uh, very much a physical uh, term the way that we intend it. Uh, um, uh, basically, it's about security of supply, um, uh, mainly of supply and also of uh, well, the whole service, also of getting rid of the wastewater once you've used it. Uh, we also mean uh, uh, flood protection, so protection from too much water uh, and obviously too little, but that too little is more from a water and sanitation perspective. Too much of it is more from a flood protection perspective. But the economic importance of it is, well, from flood protection perspective, it's quite obvious because uh, obviously if you, if, if you wash away a whole, a whole village with its industrial facilities, um, then uh, if that all floods, then basically everything comes to standstill and there's a huge impact, which is quite obvious, uh, besides lives as well, which also have an economic value. Um, uh, and then from a water and sanitation perspective, I mean, it's quite clear that even there, I mean, industries need water, people need water, even just to, to be in the office. You know, you need to have access to some potable water. You need bathrooms. If, and and th there's some very nice uh, pie charts which show for different industries how long they would survive without water. And uh, I think like 90% of the economy comes to a standstill if, if they don't have access to, to water and wastewater within a matter of a couple of days. Uh, oh, I'd be going home in half an hour without <laughs> water. What do you mean? It's, uh, I get dehydrated very yeah, quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a statistic that I saw that said that eight out of ten jobs are dependent on water security. Now, that doesn't mean that eight out of ten people are just going to 
dry up and, and fall over because they don't have water to drink. It means that, as you're saying, that in some way things are the business is dependent on water, and that applies in the EU as as well. It's of course, and in yeah. you know not just in you know countries in Africa which we normally think of as being affected by drought and people dying because of that. That's correct. I mean, there's a lot of even just the paper that we have here on the table, for example, and it's produced with a lot of water um, um, in, in the process of, of making it. So it doesn't take much to, to realize that water base, everything has a water foot, almost everything has a water footprint. Uh, so you take away the water, then they, they can't, uh, if they can't have their footprint, then they can't exist, basically. Uh, it's maybe not very well put, but, but yeah, that's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And how scarce is that resource now? I think the amount of water in the end is uh, that, that, that falls from the sky on an annual basis uh, is, hasn't, that hasn't necessarily changed that much everywhere. Of course, there are areas which have less of it. But on the whole, if you look at a very vast geographical area like the EU, uh, I'm not even sure whether there's been a, a specific decline or an increase, but it's more the variability of it which puts us it's into true. problems. So you know, not having long droughts in the summer and you know, just when the crops need the water the most, that's where you really suffer the consequences uh, of, of climate change and all that. Um, so the scarcity is more is in for very short periods of time that really causes the issues. But it's, uh, in many cases, it's not that, it's, that there's systematically less water falling uh, over longer periods of time. It's more mm. the variability. Yeah, you take actually we're talking about this uh, hydro bonds in Italy, and Italy was uh, uh, affected by very severe water scarcity uh, uh, last year and continues to suffer from uh, from uh, from that. And uh, going back to what was mentioned before, the economic losses of. Uh, um, where there is water flooding of water scarcity, they are uh, absolutely uh, huge because you need to compensate for the lack of uh, water. So you need to transport or you need to, mm. to, to, to replace that water. It needs to come in the end. So it's, uh, uh, Italy in this particular case is, is now an, an example. Thomas, Patricia, thank you so much for explaining all the stuff. And it was, it was a very flowing discussion. No more <laughs> <Yeah>. water puns. <laughs> We'll just say... We didn't freeze. <laughs> oh, very good. Mm. We didn't even get into that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is uh, a dictionary of finance from uh, the European Investment Bank. We would love it if you would subscribe. But actually, we think you would love it if you subscribe. So you should subscribe to this on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you listen to things. And then you can also get in touch with us to talk about how great it is, or but also to ask us questions um, either about this episode, which we could then uh, put to uh, Patricia and Thomas uh, offline, as it were. I'm at EIB Matt, E I B M A T T. And I'm at Dollar Tankler, A L L A R T A N K L E R. And he's managed to spell his name again. It, it, yes. it took a moment. There you go. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, tune in again next week for another episode of A Dictionary of Finance.